Welcome to the Women in Oxford's History podcast series. I'm Alison. I'm Olivia. And in each podcast, we explore the life of a woman who's had an impact on the city, then talk to the researcher who's been delving into her past. For more information on all the women featured in the series, please go to our website, womenofoxford.co.uk. This podcast explores the life and impact of Christina Violet Butler, known as Violet, a philanthropist, social researcher and educator, whose book Social Conditions in Oxford recorded the experiences of working-class residents in the Edwardian city. Violet was born in Oxford in 1884 to a prominent philanthropic and intellectual family. Her father was an academic in law and history at Oriel College, and her mother worked to promote charitable causes, taking a keen interest in issues associated with the moral welfare of women, including unmarried mothers. Violet was schooled at home by her parents and a governess until she was 14, before she studied at Wickham Abbey School in Buckinghamshire. She then read modern history at what would later become St Anne's College, Oxford, earning a first-class degree. She was an enthusiastic student who would cycle home from her tutorials with the economist Lettuce Ilbert Fisher and pause en route under a lamppost in Norham Road in order to read the comments on her essays, too eager to wait until she arrived home. Violet went on to receive a teaching diploma from London University. Her charitable work took her into the homes of many working-class families in Oxford, and these experiences are at the heart of social conditions in Oxford which she completed in 1912. This social study looked at the living and working conditions of Oxford's poorer residents and was based on her interviews with local people. She was solely responsible for the data collection and analysis, completing the research herself and producing the manuscript. In part, social conditions is concerned with adolescent welfare, charting the lack of opportunities available to the young people of Oxford. It builds on an article that she had published in the Economic Review in 1910, in which she highlighted the fact that most support services were aimed at children or the elderly, with little attention given to teenagers. In her work, Violet demonstrates considerable anxiety about the high level of casual work among young people. For instance, she addresses concerns about boys being paid to run errands. They often fail to learn a trade, and thus struggle to support themselves later in life. She was also worried about the difficulties facing girls and older women who often worked as live-in maids or charwomen. In her work, Violet was undoubtedly influenced by other Victorian and Edwardian social surveys, including Charles Booth's Life and Labour in London and Seabone Roundtree's Poverty, A Study of Town Life. As was fairly typical for her time, she was perhaps less interested in the structural causes of unemployment or underemployment, believing instead that individual education, hard work, and thrift could solve many social problems, especially when it came to adolescence. Yet social conditions was also very much her own work, practical, pragmatic and distinctly personal. It was well received both locally and nationally. The editors of the Athenaeum magazine praised her for bringing out the personal aspect of local history, an approach which they felt differed from the more impersonal tone used by Booth and Roundtree. They said that the Oxford of her picture never ceases to be a city of living people. During the Edwardian period, the provision of social services depended to a large extent on the activities of voluntary organisations supplementing the work of local government agencies. In Oxford, Violet was involved with many such initiatives, such as the Charity Organisation Society and the Cottage Improvement Society. The Cottage Improvement Society managed properties in Oxford 
overseeing rent collection and offering support and advice to tenants. Along with many housing organisations of this period, the Society's approach was based on that of the Victorian philanthropist Octavia Hill, who emphasised the importance of training tenants in household management and used female rent collectors to exert a social and moral influence over them. In her charitable work, Violet drew on her extensive contacts, both in the university and in the wider city. Following the publication of Social Conditions, Violet became an educator at Barnet House. Based in the centre of Oxford, at the corner of Turl Street and Broad Street, in fact, the building still survives, Barnet House was established in 1913, in memory of Canon Barnet, an Anglican clergyman. It was a research centre designed to advance the systematic study of current social and economic questions. From 1919, Violet taught women students on the social training course, which can be seen as the precursor to the study of social work. She then became the director of the centre, a role she remained in until 1946, although throughout her time here she remained an unpaid volunteer. Professor Brian Harrison, who's written extensively on Violet, claimed that she remained active and intellectually alert until well into her 80s, a much-loved figure who was often seen cycling about North Oxford on her many errands, still pursuing her Edwardian aim of using friendly personal contact to draw together paid and voluntary welfare workers, town and gown, rich and poor. Alison and I are here today with Catherine Crosley, who has been working on Violet and Violet's life in Oxford. I guess to kick off, what was unique or interesting about Violet's approach to social research? Well, she's a historian mm-hmm. and she does a very good job of, of describing the problems and the social conditions as sort of timeless. They're things that have been faced by other generations and also points out how useful it might be to look back in time and think about how other generations have faced these problems, what kind of solutions they've had and perhaps what we can learn from history. How do you think it differed from from other people who are carrying out this type of research, people like Roundtree in York and, and Booth in London? Well, she's definitely influenced by them, but I think it's very different because it's written by a 28-year-old middle-class unmarried woman, and she did all of the work herself. Just on the chapter on uh, the employment of men and boys, she interviewed over 400 adolescents and their families to find out what type of work. That's a huge amount of work. Right. I mean, how long would a would an interview take with, with a... 16-year-old boy in somebody's home. I mean, like, <laughs> hundreds of hours of her work. Mm, I'm sure some are chattier than others. Yeah. But I think <laughs> she carried it out all herself, and she compiled all of the research herself. Um, she apparently kept a card file. Yeah, and then computers, of, people, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So um, she did it all herself, and she wrote everything herself as well. And I think um, that's different from how her contemporaries approached social surveys. So how do you think she brought the experiences of of working-class people in Oxford to life? Well, through her personal contact, I think. It's impossible to write a social survey that didn't reflect her personal relationships with people she had come to know. And from the interview that Professor Harrison did with her, she sounds like you know, quite a, quite a kind person, and she sounds like she's got a very good sense of humor, too. So yeah. she was probably very likable. She was involved in a number of voluntary organizations. She was... You know, particularly with the Charity Organization Society. Um, they pioneered that approach. 
a very personal caseworker type approach. Mm. It can be accused of being quite patronizing or mm -hmm. of blaming people for structural problems. Uh, in her chapter on housing, she talks about the conditions of working class housing being largely influenced by tenants themselves and how they perhaps didn't keep their houses clean and they didn't open the windows enough and that that was a, a mm -hmm. contributory factor to the quality of housing, you know, tending to focus on self-help and expecting people to solve problems that were much bigger than individual people could face, mm -hmm. really. So she recognized that in, in an interview later in the 1970s, she said that she regretted some of the the patronizing comments that she made and she, she described them as patronizing. Mm -hmm. yeah. I also think the way that we understand poverty now is very different yeah. from the way that they understood poverty then. There is an attitude during that time period and even earlier that there's something about the about Oxford specifically that the damp climate makes people lethargic and lazy. And so and people say that about students too here <laughs> that they're unusually lazy sometimes and there's this particular climate in Oxford and so she does make reference to that that somehow you know it's possible that working class people are made lethargic or lazy or less likely to look after their homes because of that particular Oxford climate. Do you think well is there anything particularly you think you've learned about Oxford itself through learning about Violet? Well I think after reading her book and then reading some other books written by her contemporaries, other women who were either uh, wives of Dons, because she was, of course, the daughter of a Don, mm -hmm. um, thinking about those social networks among those women and how it influenced the provision of social services in Oxford. Dons weren't allowed to marry until the late 19th century. So this is a new community of women um, kind of finding their space mm -hmm. in Oxford and, and thinking about their role in the community, not just the university community, but the local community too. And so she kind of spans those two those two roles. And so it's quite interesting to think about these other women and who they were, what they were doing at yeah. the time and how they worked together because they did work together in groups. Would it have been unusual for an unmarried woman to be going into family homes by herself? Was it more commonplace for married women, women with children, to be advising on families? Well, she worked with her mother okay. so, and she had grown up working with her mother. Her mother did uh, the same. It's very common for these middle-class women to go visiting. Mm -hmm. um, her mother visited the workhouse. There, there was a women's prison in Oxford. Her sister did that kind of work as well. So mm -hmm. I, I don't think it was unusual for her. And what do you think perhaps she would have felt that her impact was over her lifetime on, on, on people in Oxford? I think that she would probably think that her one of her most important contributions was as an educator. Mm. So she taught other social workers. Yeah. And I think that she would probably consider that to be her you know, most significant contribution was educating these other women who were then able to carry out the same work. For further links and background on all the episodes in the series, please go to our website, womenofoxford.co.uk. Thanks for listening. 